This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. And joining us is Hillary Busis. Hello. And we're gathered here today because it's the morning after the Emmys. Uh, and I was delighted uh, that uh, our dearly departed colleague, Joanna Robinson, had tweeted about how she'd be listening to us. So hi, Joanna. And someone just responded <laughs> that uh, they were waiting for us to explain everything. And so uh, here we are. We can explain absolutely everything that happened at the Emmys, right? Well, I can't most quite things. explain. Yeah, I can't quite explain what Conan O'Brien was up to, uh, although I would love to know the answer. <laughs> having a great time, right? I'm told that that Colbert bit at least was planned, that they had like spoke like the Colbert was like, come up on stage if I win. So that that's good. But it, play, it, pl- it played really nicely having him because uh, he's so tall, like having him standing awkwardly in the background of anything is going to be funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about the Emmys this morning after. This is a uh, tradition that we do. I feel a little less bleary than I do after the Oscars, maybe. Um, maybe because some of the Emmys are predictable. Maybe because we're all still doing this from home. Um, but maybe let's just start overall. Like, I had a good time watching these Emmys. It was a real award show. Seth Rogen pointed out something accurate that it didn't really look like it was outside. But provided no one gets COVID, I feel like it went pretty well. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, th- it was decidedly like muted in the way that like it was it was you know tables in a tent it was mm-hmm. very spirit awards versus yeah, like very indie spirit awards yeah traditional <laughs> emmys where it's a huge auditorium and it has that sense of grandeur to it i guess um but i mean it was it was nice that everyone was there i absolutely did not miss zoom acceptance speeches i mean yes there were satellite london i get, I, I mean do they just rent like a hotel lobby for the crown cast like like, you know whatever that whatever that london arrangement was um but yeah no it it felt good and i i I think i think what i was sort of missing was that like okay if you're gonna have everyone in the same place and and expect you know speeches are gonna be like in the room like i don't know pump it up a little bit like i thought cedric the entertainer did a fine job as host he had some funny monologue jokes but I, I guess maybe there was still that sense of like, let's keep this kind of streamlined and loose and whatever. And I kind of wish it was like, no, well, if you're going to do it, do it. Like, I just wanted a bigger sense of occasion, I guess. Like have an orchestra, have some dancers. Be cheesy. I think the thing that's so interesting. Wait, well, your your complaint is that there wasn't enough cheese. Did you see Rita Wilson rapping to Bismarcky <laughs> at the beginning of the show, Richard? Wait, I thought I dreamed that. That actually happened? <laughs> 
yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> but <laughs> I just meant, I mean more like, I don't know, sort of self-seriousness, I guess. Like, I, and I think that like can be obviously something we, we complain about, about award shows, but it's just been interesting watching... Like, you know, they they had this weird thing with the Oscars last year where they obviously had to do it in very specific conditions. But like, you know, they got Soderbergh on board and they tried to make it kind of cool. And that worked for the Regina King walking into the auditorium part. But then the rest of it just felt a little bit like it's okay to lean into the sort of silliness of this and not mm-hmm. have it be something kind of hip and like streamlined and you know all that like i i i think that i think awards shows in general are having an identity crisis i think that a lot of that is understandable given like changing cultural attitudes about wealth and etc cetera, etc cetera. but i don't know i think once in a while it's okay to kind of like turn up the schmaltz button uh and then or schmaltz dial and they didn't really do that last night hmm. yeah that makes sense um i mean i i feel like maybe a version of what you're saying is that you can have like Chris Rock saying like who the hell is Jude Law and like making fun of him only if later in the show Sean Penn is going to show up and get angry and said Jude Law is one of our finest actors like you can't have the (laughs) like you can't puncture the balloon without then somebody coming to kind of build the balloon blow the balloon back up or something and I mean if if they don't have a sense of self-importance then it does kind of beg the question of why we should care about their little industry awards show. Well, the puncturing the balloon went to Seth Rogen, who got up and presented the first award of the night and was basically like, guys, they lied to us. This is not outside. There is a pandemic going on. And then both uh, Reggie Watts, who is the DJ and Cedric the Entertainer, had to be like, "Uh, uh, despite what Seth Rogen said, uh, we followed all the rules. We're okay." It was uh, I I enjoyed watching them scramble a little bit there because Seth Rogen went off script. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was that was a nice unscripted moment (laughs) or apparently unscripted moment. Well, it was very reminiscent of. Uh, well, Hillary will know what I mean, but maybe this exists where you are, Katie, too. But like when all of these sort of outdoor dining things were built in New York, there were many, many that I walked by and I was like, guys, you just built an indoor thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like a, there was like a like, roof and a like, <laughs> It is a full has, structure in the street. Yeah, <laughs> and a roof. Like uh, there was one in the East Village that apparently the city finally intervened because they were building a second story. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, no, you're just now erecting a new building. (laughs) In the middle of the street, too, to to block for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the optics of it, like, I did have someone tweeted me being like, you know, being vaccinated allows elitists to be elitists, which, you know, we can debate that word, but they're, you know, they're exempt from the Los Angeles mask mandate because they were so, like, quote unquote, outside. Like, the optics of that are a little strange. It's not quite what it was, you think, even for the Oscars in April when so many fewer people were vaccinated, but... I don't know. Like, I was grateful that they were able to be in person, but it was also like, well, every time I've gone indoors anywhere, I've had to have a mask on and you guys don't. Except for the staff, of course, which is, you know, a whole other element of weirdness. But then again, like having an award show where everyone's sitting there with masks on, like, that's weird, too. So I don't I'm not sure how you solve that problem. All right. We'll go to we'll go back to the winners and what actually uh, won the awards. I mean, our predictions, I haven't looked to see exactly how we did. I feel like we did pretty well. We expected the crown to win, expected Ted Lasso to win, um, expected the Queen's Gambit to win, although uh, perhaps I, I at least was pretty pleasantly surprised by the mayor of Easttown acting surge in there. And I think the the overall theme about the winners that I have seen on Twitter more, Twitter more than anything is the uh, overwhelming whiteness of all of the acting winners, every single one of them. Uh, and there are exceptions in the winners overall. You got Michaela Cole's huge win, obviously. Um, and the diversity of the nominees was pretty extensive. Like it really um, there was a really great group of actors up there and they do much better than the Oscars overall and recognizing a diverse group of talent, but that does feel like a problem that um, hopefully at the Emmys they are taking a hard look at today. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I think it was pretty mortifying 
you know, it was, I mean, I, I guess you could say, well, it was just that the crown was there and, you know, because it's of the nature of what it's about, it, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, but mm-hmm. like 10 Lasso too. And, you know, I, I also think that you had Cedric the Entertainer talk about the diversity at the top of the show. And then none of that was awarded really, except for Michaela Cole in writing. Um, watching the E... Uh, red carpet with Karamo, who has done our VF Oscar party red carpet, by the yes, way. He has. Um, it was largely people of color that he spoke to on the red carpet because there were so many nominees to talk to. And then to have the actual show and the awards being doled out go time and time again. I mean, like Tobias Menzies, really? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the one that feels that felt kind of physically painful. You know, yeah. you get Carrie Washington up there. She, she gives a tribute to Michael K. Williams uh, to present the award because he was nominated in that same category. Um, uh, Emmy voting closed before he died. Uh, uh, surprisingly, in early September. So there was kind of this anxiety around it. Like, people thought he might win for Lovecraft Country. He had never won an Emmy before, which is crazy because he's been such a huge part of television. Um, but it was never a sure thing. Um, I don't know that anyone thought it would be Tobias Menzies who would beat him out, though. And he wasn't even there, which had, like, this real echo of the Anthony Hopkins moment at the Oscars. It was all just, like, not... What, I, don't, I don't even think Tobias Menzies wanted it to go that way. No. How that maybe that's why Hillary. he didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's why Tobias Menzies didn't go to the Crown Party because he was like, I don't. I, I feel like if I win, people are going to be upset. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that that loss really, really hurt, um, especially because you know it's it's. I looked at Michael K. Williams's uh, IMDb page to see if he has any uh, upcoming projects that he completed before he died, and it, I there are a few things on there. I'm not sure if there's anything that would get him another awards nomination though so if if this was his last chance then that is a real punch to the gut we got a really interesting um text from uh jenna and you can also you can always text with us please do at joinsubtext.com plus little gold men she said the nominations were more diverse but i think people just aren't watching shows made by starring and about black brown lgbtq plus and people with disabilities i wonder if a predominantly white show should not submit next year as a statement of embracing more diversity make room for other voices i think that's a really interesting idea it would be it's hard for me to imagine like the crown not submitting themselves for an Emmy. But like also what better statement to make than to, you know, especially the crown's got enough Emmys. So maybe it's OK. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just I would just maybe uh, question the first part of that, which is not that people aren't watching these shows, but perhaps the TV Academy isn't watching these shows. Um mm. And yes. I mean, you know, the I May Destroy You was a huge phenomenon when that aired last summer. It felt like that was the only thing. I mean, you know, not to be Pauline Kale, none of, none of my friends voted for Nixon, but I feel like that was <laughs> the only thing I heard anybody talk about online in my, you know, real life friend circles for weeks and weeks. And yeah, I mean, the the fact that Michaela Cole only got a writing nominee or only got a writing win after being nominated in several different categories. I mean, something that uh, our colleague Johanna Desta just pointed out in a story that went up a couple of hours ago is that. You know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge did a very similar thing with Fleabag. She won an armful of Emmys. Um, mm-hmm. Similar, you know, Donald Glover did something similar with Atlanta. He won a bunch. Uh, Aziz Ansari for the first couple seasons of Master of None, or maybe just the first season. Um, but, like, there's a history of multi-hyphenates really cleaning up at the Emmys in particular. And it seems like Michaela Cole was really destined to be in that same line. And then she didn't win anything except for this one award, which is really, really a surprise. Um, I mean, I know that we've, I'm sure you've talked 
every week when you're talking about the Emmys about how stacked limited series in particular was and generally is and has been for the past several years. But even with such stiff competition, um, it seems like a big miss that the TV Academy wasn't paying as much attention to I May Destroy You as the audience, perhaps, of awards shows. Yeah. And and it it has this interesting effect when you're watching an award show like the Emmys last night where I started to resent stuff that I actually like just fine. Like I like the crown. Oh yeah. And I like Queen's Gambit during the broadcast. I was like, well, fuck these shows. <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and, and uh, obviously Scott Frank rattling on for, I believe 40 seconds longer than honorary winner Debbie Allen did in her speech, <laughs> uh, which is pretty embarrassing. And then Michaela Cole gave a very, you know, succinct 30 second speech um, shortly after Frank won for uh, uh, directing, you know, it's just like it, I think that we've talked about this extensively on this podcast and but and I keep saying it but I'll say it again like all of this is made up. This is there there is no <laughs> objective way to assess like what was the best blank of any year. So like you can give these awards to whoever you want to give them to. And it it just like the, the, I feel like whenever you, you know something like last night happens where not a single I mean a, a, where every single acting winner was white it is like people well that's just how it is. I mean it was just you know the crown uh, you know it's like but that didn't you like, you're not following some rubric that like just like the numbers don't lie, you know? Like I, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. it's all pretend so I don't know why people, I don't know, It just this shouldn't happen. I think the thing that I will say in defense of how the limited series thing shook out is that category did a better job than any other of spreading the wealth. Like you got a bunch yeah. of acting wins for Mayor of Town. You got two wins for Queen's Gambit. You got the win for I May Destroy You. And, you know, for the category with, I think, the strongest shows in it, that's what we want to see. Like we don't really want a clean sweep, I don't think. And no. that's why The Crown felt so boring. Oh, yeah. Um, and Katie, we we haven't even mentioned the most surprising limited series winner, which is Halston of Halston. <laughs> well, God. I, uh, maybe this is the time to confess I didn't watch a minute of Halston. Uh, and I, like, I watched did not every think. minute of Halston. <laughs> and so how do you I'm feel about Ewan McGregor's your... win? He was good. I mean, the show was very Ryan Murphy. It was, it was, uh, it was the kind of Ryan Murphy that I enjoy, I think, versus the kind of Ryan Murphy that uh, is not for me. So in in terms of his Netflix output, it's definitely at the top. Um, that might sound like damning with faint praise. Hugh McGregor is very good in it. But I think, Katie, you've talked about this, about how Paul Bettany um, seemed like WandaVision's best shot uh, to win a main Emmy. And uh, Ewan McGregor winning over him does kind of feel also like a like a strange turn of events, especially because WandaVision then walked away with nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think we all thought Catherine Hahn was WandaVision's best shot. Like, we assumed oh, she right, had it sewn up. Uh, and then Julianne Nicholson beating her. But again, like, that cat, like, watching Julianne Nicholson beat Catherine Hahn, it was like, well, there are so many good shows, and I'm so glad she won too. Like, seeing the competition among these, like, real incredible works of television was tough. Yeah, that um, was an exciting upset. That was an upset really where exciting. I was, yeah, I was upset. I, I wished for that Catherine Hahn had won, but Julianne Nicholson is so great, too, that it's not like you can't begrudge that win. Yeah. And yeah. they had the whole Mayor of Easttown table seated like right behind the stage. You could watch them like be excited, like while they were giving speeches, which I loved. It was it was a good setup for them. Yeah. Half of Gene Smart's speech was directed towards Mayor of Easttown <laughs> and not hacks. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about like the Julianne Nicholson win. It was that was a big surprise. Like I thought like I'm not good at predicting the Emmys, but I was like, surely Catherine Hahn. There was a song like she, you know, like it was mm-hmm. a big thing. But Catherine Hahn and Julianne Nicholson have kind of I mean, they've done very different work. But they similarly, you know, they've been in the industry for a couple decades now. They've 
consistently been good and finally had like breakthrough things, you know, this year. Um, I mean, I guess Han has like led an HBO show like she she's been maybe a little bit higher in terms of like profile than Nicholson has been. Yeah, she was in Step Brothers. Yeah, but like both wins would have been nice, you know, Um, and 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 deserved. I mean, they were both, you know, the sort of among the standouts of their respective shows. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. Yeah, and that, and that that's again what I keep coming back to with the I may destroy you of it all. Like I feel like if it had not won anything, it would have been a really justifiable outrage. But I think spreading the wealth among those shows, I wish WandaVision had won something too. Like, you know, take that directing award from Queen's Gambit and give it to I May Destroy You or WandaVision and like spread the wealth even further. Um, although I don't want to beat up on Scott Frank, who I think became the internet villain so quickly for giving an admittedly a, a terrible speech. But uh I don't know. I feel like I've seen worse award show crimes. It was more that he was just seemed galled by the fact that anyone would play him off. And it's like, dude, this is a directing award for at the <laughs> Emmys. Like, no one gets a shit. Like, you know, like, like, you like are, wrap you it up. Sir you are know? no Debbie Allen. And the way that he and the, I guess, producer when they won for limited series, um, spoke about Anya Taylor-Joy was a little bit like, did you really pay attention to the show you made? <laughs> like, um, I also, I wanted to say, I was thinking about this last night and maybe I'm not remembering my Emmys history. But does it feel like a major sea change that the last category was limited series and not drama, which which mm. it kind of always historically is? Yeah, I want. It wouldn't surprise me if they've done that before. At least, like in the last couple of years, it wouldn't have been any longer ago than that. Um, but yes, I thought about that too. I guess because it was more competitive. You know, there was more suspense around who would win than there was for drama with the crown yeah i I think it speaks to the way that streaming has completely upended the industry i think that generally limited series do seem like the crown jewel at this point um when it comes to television that they get the biggest names that they have the most buzz that they are on often the most interesting shows because they're not they're not kind of hedged in by trying to sustain a narrative for years and years. Um, although I mean, plenty of dramas also wind up being shorter than that, but, but yeah, it does, I think Richard indicate that the, 
the momentum and the interest is more behind limited projects than it is behind dramas for like the first couple of years that, and I feel like, yeah, this is probably the first few years that that has been true in like the history of television. I feel certain that a variety special pre-recorded has never been announced so late in the night, except for that uh, Hamilton <laughs> one at the end of the night, which I think we were all kind of um, joining in our own ways. And as I, I, I've resisted the Hamilton backlash, but I didn't especially think it needed an Emmy. But we can all be grateful that Renee Lee Goldsberry got to give a speech because we love her. And we want her to get nominated for Girls 5 Ever next time. I'm just pretending like that she was giving her acceptance yes. speech for Girls 5 Ever, which yeah. and that she also got nominated for that performance. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what my boyfriend said. He was like, oh, so she's basically this is a Girls 5 Ever speech. Um, <laughs> but I thought that I thought her sentiment about theater and she kind of poetically was like the curtains are rising, the lights are coming yeah. back on. Like, it was really nice, you know, and and she's right that there is a historical relationship between um, TV and theater. I mean, you think about American Playhouse or great performances yeah. like, you know, there used to be much more of this. You know, it wouldn't just be Hamilton. It would be lots of stuff. And I hope that maybe Hamilton's success last night at the Emmys will, I don't know, maybe encourage more things to be filmed. And, you know, I know that the the Diana musical uh, is going to, you know, there's going to be a, a recorded version that's going to play on Netflix this fall. So like, I would love for there to be more of that, if only because in 20 years from now, I can go on YouTube and find those clips like I watch like Paul Newman doing Our Town or something. Yeah. That reminds me, I need to watch Come From Away, uh, which was on Apple. I'm seeing it tomorrow live. My first playback. Oh, well then, aren't you? I will watch it it on my couch. Oh, I wanted to go back to limited series just for a second, just to shout out um, Mayor Vista one more time and Joanna Robinson again, who um, the last story she wrote for Vanity Fair was about Evan Peters winning for a supporting actor in a limited series. It was a pre-write, so if he hadn't won, we wouldn't have run it. But he won, and so we got to run it. And um, well, I'm just, I'm very happy for him. He seemed uh, surprised and I like almost aware that like the work he had done up to this point would not have made him think he would have won an Emmy. But he was so good on Mayor Vista, he really deserved it. You could even treat that as a WandaVision by proxy win if you wanted to. <laughs> exactly. There. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that was fun. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I think that the three actors who won from Air of Easttown were very good. And so that, you know, that felt fine. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I saw someone joke on Twitter last night, I think, that like, Evan Peters winning an Emmy for a non-Ryan Murphy project means the spell is broken or something <laughs> like <laughs> that, like Murphy no longer has leverage over him. Uh, we'll see if that's actually true. I don't think it is. That but is it, sort of yeah. what uh, Ryan Murphy's tweet at Evan Peters seemed to imply. It just said, congratulations, very, uh, very plain, unembellished. Um, and <laughs> you you do sort of wonder what the feeling behind it was when it was written. <laughs> Don't get any big ideas, buddy. <laughs> I still own you. Yeah. Um, I don't know the, how much we want to talk about the crown because, as we said, it kind of swept everything. It um, as I as our friend Joe Reed tweeted, like Charles Dance really fucked up the mega sweep because if he had won in the guest actor category, the crown would have gotten every single drama acting category. Because um, Claire Foy, as we discussed last week, won a pretty puzzling guest actress Emmy. Um, but Olivia Coleman winning was a surprise. I think we all thought Emma Corrin was going to win that. And I she, think Olivia uh, Coleman thought Emma Corrin was going I to win. I think she did too. There's really nothing better in this world than Olivia Coleman giving a speech being like, oh, huh, really? Okay. Uh, I guess I'm going <laughs> to accept this award. Her, her defining award show narrative is being like, huh? Um, <laughs> For me, I, Olivia? Uh, my hunch is that 
the producers of the broadcast saw Emma Corrin's outfit and were like, no, we can't, I, I, we Ooh. can't, we can't have the memes, you know, and, and, and just change the votes to uh, Olivia. No, I'm kidding. I mean, Emma was wearing an interesting outfit, but. Listen, our fashion people say yeah. that butter yellow is the color of the season. So I just have to trust them that that is uh, extremely okay. high well, fashion. I, and I, I certainly don't know about such things. So um, I, 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 I thought she, she looked good. I just, it was just like a funny, it was an interesting look, but um, I, I think the thing about Olivia Coleman is that, a lot of this is just kind of inertia and a lot of voters being like, oh, no, I know. I like her. I liked her in the movie she won the Oscar for, you know, like, sure, sure, sure. Like, check, you know. And even though they clearly closely watched The Crown because they gave it 14,000 awards, maybe they didn't closely enough watch it to sort of think about Corin's performance in, in, you know, like Coleman has now been in a couple seasons of the show. She's more enduring. Like, I, I feel like that was just kind of like, you know, when you, when you vote, I mean at least when I vote sometimes and I'm not so up on like the down ballot category, you know, races. I'm, if I see a D next to someone's name, I'm just like, okay, okay. You know? And, <laughs> and I, I feel like this might've just been like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Olivia Coleman is the star of the crown. Check. You know? And then Olivia Tobias Coleman is, is the Democrat comptroller of, uh, <laughs> right, exactly. of the Emmys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a real, that's a real ongoing pervasive issue with the Emmys, um, which I think, is kind of spoken to most loudly in the variety categories um, and specifically variety talk show, which John Oliver has now won six years in a row. Um, and it, it's a genre that has had lots of innovation. There's Amber Ruffin, there's Z-Way, there's all of these uh, like new voices coming in and shaking things up and doing things differently. And it's a category that previously has only ever gone to Jon Stewart, uh, the Colbert Report, report one year and John Oliver and it really feels like especially there Emmy voters are not are not necessarily looking beyond what they already know um and I don't know you you get the impression even maybe that John Oliver kind of feels that way too when he got up on stage uh for I forget whether it was writing or for the main award but he said that he wanted to dedicate it to Conan O'Brien who just finished his long illustrious uh career of doing nightly late night shows for the past almost 30 years um and, you know, didn't has never won. And yeah, it, it does kind of feel like in specific categories and maybe more to the entire show in general that like there are there are places where Emmy voters just don't really want to look beyond the things that they've already given awards to. Well, this is where I think it's interesting to bring in the piece that David Canfield wrote about how the Emmy voting system works, because I think we all know that the Emmys tend to favor the same thing year after year, and it's gotten somewhat better in this PTV era where it's, you know, it's not going to be Frazier winning awards eight times in a row. Um, but in 2015, they had this rule change where previously for acting awards, like you would have an episode that you submitted for. So if you were going to, like, they would select, you know, people from each branch to be the volunteers to watch all of the submitted episodes and kind of discuss and figure out and like vote for the winner after that. So it was, and now they changed it in 2015. So it's just popular vote. Like everyone votes and you pick the one that you like the best. So whereas before you would like sit down and, see everyone's clip and be like, oh, well, Olivia Coleman was really good in this episode, but maybe Emma Corrin was better in this episode. You're kind of considering the entirety of the season and there's no need to like indicate that you've actually watched the episode. So I think it you, it like, then leads to sweeps, like what we're seeing, where it's like, I love the crown. I'm going to vote for the crown down ballot, as opposed to kind of like sitting down and being like, well, wait a second, this one performance in this one episode stood out in a way that I think I'll vote for that instead. And I think that's a really interesting, like it, it has given us good things like you know when John Hamm kept not winning an Emmy because his work on Mad Men is like not going to stand out in a single episode um but then at least at things like this too yeah 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 I mean the the repetitive nature of the Emmys is is at some point 
I mean, to some degree unavoidable. It's just like because shows are on year after year and, you know, yeah. um, but it's funny, you know, we were watching last night, I, uh, a couple of us in my house and, and, um, all, all big drag race fans. And when it won its fourth consecutive Emmy for reality competition series or whatever, it was sort of like, okay, like it, it's, it's funny how quickly <laughs> things become the ruling party, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, drag race winning its first Emmy was like for, I think RuPaul won for host. Like that, that was like, that felt exciting and new and transgressive and, you know, different. And now just a few years later, it's like, oh, ho-hum, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and John Oliver, I think, you know, his show in the, when it started, like was, was, you know, it was different with the format was different. It was once a week. It had a sort of more long form, you know, sort of, central piece to each episode he and swore and he swore exactly <laughs> and now it's like okay you know and and i think that like and certainly the crown felt that way not the the crown i mean you know i'm thinking back to when the producer for the queen's gambit um called their show risky or something risky subject matter or something it's like dude what are you talking about um but you know so the crown never felt risky either but like you know, when it when it was first winning things, it was like, oh, cool, it's a new thing, it's winning stuff, and now it's just you know, again, just a, sh- a few years later, it feels very like um, familiar, and uh, I think from a viewer standpoint, it would be exciting to have more uh, of the, the sort of turnover year after year. Although I should say that the Crown and the Queen's Gambit now mark Netflix's first uh, win of the top award in a category. Um, it has never won like a uh, best drama, best comedy, best limited series. It still hasn't won best comedy. Um, and it's it just it feels funny because they basically invented prestige streaming TV. Um, they were the first streamer to get nominated with House of Cards. And it just there was this Lucy in the football quality to that. Um, and as we know, talking about the Oscars, the same thing is happening them with, with them in best picture. So uh, maybe this is the year they do that, too. Good for Netflix. I really want them to go hard on campaigning for the Babysitter's Club next year, though. Oh, yeah. I think that's their best series. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> we, you, we, this is a hardcore Babysitter's Club fan group we've gathered here. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. true. Maybe we should just pivot entirely <laughs> to talking. I would be more than fine with that. When the new season premieres in a few weeks, we have to reunite so we can just go over each episode in excruciating detail. I'm for... sure Rachel Schuchert would come on. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's true. Hillary and I keep throwing around the idea of doing a Babysitter's Club a week on VF.com. So this might have just pushed a little bit closer to reality. <laughs> but we're, we're going to get ready for my 5,000 word piece on Claudia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, we haven't talked about the comedy categories at all, really, yet. And they were, I think, more interesting than we thought. Like the Ted Lasso sweep happened to some extent. It won a bunch of awards, including the top one. But Hacks made a really good showing of it. And I'm a big fan of Hacks. Uh, we all knew Gene Smart was going to win, but it won for directing and writing, um, which was really exciting to me. I'm, I was glad to see that little bit of uh, wealth spreading there. Yeah, I agree. And if there if there was going to be another comedy uh, to share, um, well, it should have been Girls Five Ever. But in the absence <laughs> of that show getting the nominations and the awards that it deserves, then yeah, Hacks felt like the other buzzy. I mean, I I feel for the flight attendant, which I really enjoyed when it yeah. aired. Um, that does that did end up getting kind of left in left in the dust uh, behind buzzier shows um, that maybe just wound up having more staying power. Uh, but yeah, Hacks felt like the other show, the the other show in the comedy space that was really like leading the conversation. So it's nice to see Emmy voters pick up on that too. Yeah, it was to the extent that when um, when they they won for writing, right, and then Ainella won for directing as well, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was the point where I was like, are they going to win comedy? You know, because like because yeah. like both both camps had like wins earlier in the night. 
Um, so it actually did a, a provide a little bit of, I mean, suspense, I guess, um, which was appreciated, even though I suppose it was ultimately uh, inevitable that Ted Lasso would win in the end. Yeah. Well, and Hacks and Ted Lasso are both like fresh and new, like what we were talking about, you know, and I think Hacks especially just feels kind of different from what you would see in in this kind of comedy space before. And like Jean Smart is like 70 and winning this lead actress award. And she gave this um, really lovely speech about her husband who died earlier this year and, you know, had Kate Winslet like hooting and hollering behind her, cheering her on. Um, it was just it was a great combination of things for that show. Yeah. Um, does any I just wanted to ask you both. Um, does Ted Lasso have like a theme song? Because I, I don't think I've ever heard it. I mean, good lord! They, I mean, how many times did we hear that? Do you remember? You know? Do you remember the Grammys where Hosier had like a hundred <laughs> nominations, and I just like every single time they started announcing something new, it would just like come and take me to church, and that, that is what this. Yeah, that is what the yeah reminded me of. Yeah. They just need to play a different snippet from the song. Like uh, you know, I don't hate that song, but in, when it's just that one word over and over again, it does make you feel insane. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did love Hannah Waddingham's speech um, and also her presence throughout the whole night. I think she she was maybe the first award that got handed out. And so the rest of that, she's just like there having one and like she like bowed to RuPaul. She's like standing up and she- cheering for everyone she could. She seemed to just love being there um, and her enthusiasm was pretty infectious, I thought. I like it when people admit that they're really happy they won, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I, I, it's like, I think it's fun when someone's like, I just can't contain it. I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> you know, Like, I think at one point she was like, I'm giving an Emmy's expe- acceptance speech. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, that's always appreciated. Yeah. Not as fun when somebody comes up with a two page single space printed sheet. <laughs> Yeah. I thought yeah. there was a similar vibe in Evan Peters' speech where he just slows, and Kate Winslet! And you're like, yeah, that's that's what I would yell if if I worked with Kate Winslet, too. Um, also, I feel like a broken record on this, but when I interviewed Juno, Juno Tipple a few weeks ago on this show, she just talked like so sincerely about how happy she would be if Hannah Waddingham won and how she thought she was going to win, which... like. B- Actors will very rarely say what they think will happen in a category. Like, they're usually trying to be like, well, I don't know. Like, everyone's great. And she was just like, yeah, I think Hannah Waddingham's going to win. It's going to be awesome. And she was just so visibly psyched, like, sobbing with joy for Hannah Waddingham to win. Um, So it was lovely. Go listen to that interview if you haven't yet. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> uh, what else? What else did you guys like? What else didn't you like? I felt like uh, Cedric's bit about the fly on Mike Pence's head was maybe slightly late. Um, oh, my God. Maybe not the trenchant, uh, the trenchant sort of bit that we look for at an awards show. I don't know. I'm on record as loving bits, so I, pre- I shouldn't 
I shouldn't come down hard too hard on this. Uh, I, I love like, I love the time wasting stuff, um, which <laughs> maybe means that my mind should be studied or something, but <laughs> this, uh, this was not, I did really like, uh, the non Emmy winners support group. Um, I, yes, I think yeah, it's I did always, too. yeah, it's always great when actors can kind of poke fun at themselves and, uh, agree to do something like this, like appear in maybe a less than flattering light. I actually didn't know that Jason Alexander never won. And now I'm very upset on his behalf. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was funny. Cause it was like, maybe two of you actually deserve one. Like, you know, like there were a few people there. I was like, well, no, duh, you don't have an Emmy. Like, um, um, but yeah, the bits were, I mean, the, the one with um, Cedric's co-stars from the show he's on, on CBS, you know, yeah. that felt very like CBS synergy in a way that I was like, it, it really just like glaringly pointed at the disconnect. Like, like I know mom had a few nominations this year, but like, CBS shows really don't get Emmy nominated. It's weird that they're broadcasting the show and trying to like advertise their material when like streaming shows are winning left and right and, you know, cable stuff. And and it just felt like maybe at some point, one of the channel, one of the platforms that actually like is winning a lot and has like stuff that people really care about who watch the Emmys, like maybe they should (laughs) broadcast this because there was a, a stark disconnect between what CBS was selling and what was winning. I mean, network yeah. television in general had a terrible night. Did it? Uh, Colbert won Variety Special mm-hmm. um, live. Uh, yes. But otherwise, did a network show win it? SNL. SNL won SNL. Um, Variety Sketch. Yeah. But yeah, but I think that might that's, be it. That is, that, that's it. I'm, I'm scrolling. Yeah, it's just, it's just funny to have, like, please welcome, like, Vanessa Lachey and... Wilmer Valderrama, who are both, I guess, on NCIS shows now, and like to present this award, and it's like, what? Like, like it just feels like it's beamed in from a different universe. And the Sophia Bush was there. I can't remember who she was presenting with, but another person like, oh, you're still on TV. Good for you. (laughs) I don't know what your show is, but okay. (laughs) But okay, yeah. Well, uh, did you see the video of Vanessa Lachey when like crying when she got she found out she got the job on NCIS Hawaii? No. It kind of went viral last week. It was it was actually it was a good reminder that like this stuff means a lot to people because it's like their livelihoods and whatever. Like, oh, I think Sophia Bush was with Daniel Day Kim because I remember being like, oh, well, he's been on television forever. He's he's an icon. Looking incredible, incredible with glasses. Like, I oh, he should yeah. wear those more often. Yeah, he has. Uh, <laughs> he's been like consistently gorgeous from the moment he stepped onto Lost. It's a yeah. it's a great track record. Um. Well, guys, we'll have another major awards show in like eight months when the Oscars happen. Um, maybe by then they can actually be indoors and not have Seth Rogen scold them from the stage. Anything you would take from this? Um, you know, this really felt so different from the last Emmys, from the last Oscars with COVID, like everything changes all the time. But anything that you would take from this uh, as we move forward into our weird award show future? I would just say that if you're going to do it in a tent at tables and it's the, the atmosphere is more casual, tell your, your guests that and let them dress accordingly i felt Mm. sometimes that a lot of the elaborate outfits which were beautiful and everyone looked great like they didn't fit the space in a way you know Mm. and i just think the evening and overall had this kind of lopsided sense of occasion it was like is this like a chill like we you know we've been all been vaccinated and tested multiple times but we're just going to try to eke out some fun thing in a tent or is it like tv's most glamorous evening you know And, Mm. and i thought sometimes those two 
approaches were sort of in a strange dialogue with each other. Um, I'm not critiquing anyone in particular's outfit by any means, but like, you know, Catherine Hahn in like a sleek kind of pantsuit, that fit the occasion more, I thought, mm. than did, uh, you know, enormous ball gowns or, you know, very like expensive tuxedos, I guess. Richard, I'm imagining like the bridezilla email that you're going to send out to your wedding guests, like dictating what they will wear and when. Oh, it's been Gi- drafted for years. Yeah. <laughs> Giant yeah. belt buckle. Yes. Purple ruffles. No. <laughs> no. no. If you cut your hair before the ceremony, you are dead to me and disinvited. Yeah. I love a ball gown. I love the amount of capes that were on hand. And like there was a lot of like really bright red gowns. Uh, Nicole Byer, her purple ruffles, which were very visible, like whenever they came back from commercial breaks. I, I so. love that. You could always tell where she was. She looked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I'm not with you in that. Like if it's going to be a televised award show, I think everyone should go like way the hell over the top. But I get how that like if you're there in person and being like, where are we exactly? How that would feel strange to to figure out. What it, to I think for. it's more that the setting didn't match the, uh, the I, I'm, I, I would advocate for like dress up as much as you want but like do some stuff with the set and like with the seating yeah. and like make, make that kind of meet the dress I guess make um, it feel yeah. grander yeah, I, yeah. I, I can I can appreciate that I mean it was just it was just so much better than a Zoom Awards show in every way oh my God. and I, I feel like we that might have gotten lost in like our or particularly my griping about who won. Like, it's it's just nice to see famous people in a room together, mm-hmm. like, breathing breathing the same, hopefully not uh, infected air. Uh, yeah. But, like, it, it, there, is, there is something that is so different about having a crowd in person applauding a winner and the, the energy and everything. I mean, I, I think that the main takeaway from this is just that, like, award shows don't work unless they gather people in person, I think. Yep. Yeah, I didn't do yeah. enough uh, paying attention to the commercial breaks, but I did see Hannah Waddingham talking to Cynthia Erivo. And I imagine, like, you know, they've both done West End. Like, who knows how long they've known each other? Maybe forever. But it was just like, yeah, more of that. Give me more, like, people bumping into each other and and Yeah, schmoozing. or, like, Cynthia Erivo, like, giving Michaela Cole a pep talk before she oh, went yeah. up on stage to get the that writing was Like, that was drama. That was great. Like, Yeah. Yeah, real human emotion. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm told from sources that there weren't really parties after the show last night. Maybe there were like small things, but I think it, 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 it was fun because it was like, well, th- they treated that like the actual ceremony as like the big thing, you know, yeah. uh, it wasn't like we got to get through this so we can go to the cool party or whatever. Like it, they, you know, because I don't think there was a friend of mine, an old high school friend of mine. Um, was nominated for uh, writing on Bridgerton. And uh, I texted her and I was like, you know, you, you looked great, whatever, like, but uh, are you going to parties? And she was like, no, but I had the, the my driver take me to in and out on the way home. That's the thing you do. Muted. Yeah. Um, so you can pretend like you're going to a Vanity Fair Emmy's party. Right, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that they need to be in person. Like, I, you know, I had like a friend over last night to watch it. I certainly didn't do that for Zoom things. I mean, also because we were being more careful about being indoors, but like, yeah. you know, but, it, but, 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 you know, I was worried that when he came over, I was like, oh, is this going to be boring? And it, actually, it wasn't like it, 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 it was frustrating in a lot of ways, but it was still like, it was an award show and it felt real. And, um, I, I guess hadn't realized how much I'd missed that until last night. Oh, and I, and we didn't even mention Debbie Allen, um, and her, her segment. Oh yeah. Was great. So great. And having like, and they did like that thing that I love that like most people, other, other people hate. They had like people up on stage to like tribute to her um, just for mm-hmm. really briefly. Like they had the clips, which I think we all love too, but just like a second of being like, hello, we are people who you know, and this is how much we love Debbie Allen. I don't know how Michael Douglas got there, but I assume that there's a good reason and he looked great. It seems that she directed him in a movie in 2006. I looked this up too. Oh, okay. good for her. 
Good but like, if her, you're yeah. going to have them up there and they're going to be banging canes on the floor, just <laughs> I, I want like, you know, two bars of dance. You know, I want yeah, like, yeah, I give want, me a step like, ball change. Yeah. Like I want I really a little thought bit that they were about to start dancing. I was <laughs> yeah. so excited. Yeah. I, I couldn't wait. I want a production number. Like, I really hope that by the time the Oscars come around, we can get a production number again. Yeah, that would be really nice. Um, oh, and another thing, I talked about the, the clips for Debbie Allen. Like, this year's Oscars kind of did away with a lot of the clips, and I think that wound up being kind of controversial because, like, you just don't get as good of a sense of what you're talking about. And I thought they did a really good job with the clips. Like, for Pose especially, which is a show that I didn't watch and have never felt worse about than watching the Emmys, where, like, every clip they showed from it made it look like the greatest show of all time. Um, and that worked for a lot of shows, too. So I think there was a real power in that and being like, yeah, maybe you haven't watched all this. There's too much TV, but this is what you should actually pay attention to, and these clips are going to make a really good case for it. Yeah. Clips yeah, anything important. you can do to, like, increase the literacy of people who are watching at home and may not have necessarily heard of these shows before, um, I yeah. think it's a good thing. And it's hard, man. Like, there's too much television. The Emmys, like, can, especially with everything still being available forever after it airs, like, the Emmys can function so helpfully as a way to be like, oh, pay attention to this. Even Jennifer Coolidge presenting was like, oh, hey, White Lotus, remember hearing about her? Go watch it. And Were, were you there any big winners last night year? where you or either of you just were like, I just don't watch that show? Like, I, I feel like I'd seen at least some of most of what won. But, Pose is the one for me. That was my big blind oh, spot, okay. which now, like, yeah. you know, it's over. So high time for me to catch up. And as previously stated, I never watched Halston. I, I'm sorry, guys. I don't oh. think I even watch Halston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. How dare you? But otherwise, yeah, it was like six shows. So it's, it's so easy to have watched some yeah. of everything. Yeah. Not, not, to, not to diminish the work you've done, Richard. Very heroic, but... <laughs> Well, that does it for the Emmys. We're done talking about TV for a little while. I mean, the SAGs, uh, SAG Awards are coming up uh, early next year. They have television awards, so that's Critics' when we'll get Choice. To, Critics' Choice. We'll get to talk about The White Lotus and um, whatever else is on the air right now that we really want to talk about, season two, season three of Succession. Um, but in the meantime, we the have The Babysitter's so... Club. Hello. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's in like two weeks when it premieres, so buckle up. Um, but in the meantime, we have a ton of Emmys coverage on VanityFair.com that you can read. Um and you can keep tweeting at us. Who knows? We might have more questions if you're to answer next week. And yeah, that does it. You can follow us on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And Hillary. Filibuster. And as I mentioned, you can text us at subtext. Join subtext.com slash littlegoldmen or text 213-513-7215. We love hearing from you, especially after award shows. Um, and so keep sending us your questions. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best new theme song for this podcast goes to Hillary Busis. Come and take me to church. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah. that. We support that. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter okay. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. 
Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.